we read the litany of invitation and confession. Let us stop our busy schedules so that we may worship God. We lay aside our to-do list with the intention to be with one another and with God in this sacred space. Jesus taught us to watch for the presence of God among poor persons, marginalized persons, grieving persons, all persons. We watch for the face of Christ today, giving us comfort, bringing us challenge. We look with the psalmist at God's glory in the night sky, and we follow Jesus in the downward way of discipleship. We confess our sin, for often we live deaf and blind to the wild and wonderful ways of God. Sisters and brothers, by the grace of God, you are forgiven. Because of the love of God, live courageously and creatively and with Christ-like love. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. appreciate our acolytes that can help out, even carrying a big 20, 25-pound Bible. And even if you have a broken arm, to be the crucifer and carry the cross, as does Ava Grace. But it's that kind of commitment you adults have shown them. Some of you adults have shown them. And we are all grateful, so thank you. Uh, welcome especially to guests who, who are here today. There is on the edge of your order of service place where you can uh, put your name and address to welcome you, and you can place that in the uh, offering plate when it's passed. It helps me connect name and face uh, with you. Uh, also, I think we've had some refugees come from the storm of uh, Lindsay and Charles and family. And I'm glad you're here and glad you are safe. As we gather on this day, there are many we have to pray for and need to pray for. The storm has displaced many people. There is a million, There are millions of dollars worth of damage. And it's okay to pray for land and property. The psalmists do that all the time. So we pray for many people. As we continue our worship, it's a long way from the news we read each week to and so we trust in the psalmist to help remind us that there's much more of God going on in the world than the difficulties that we and others face. And so we turn to the psalms like Psalm 19. It'll be read as part of the first scripture today, but it will be echoed at the time of offertory later in the service. Listen especially to the gospel lesson because that's going to be the basis of the sermon, the many faces so as we open our hearts, we all also open our ears to hear from the book. Welcome. God's glory is seen in the heavens, and a spiritual life is lived with discipline and prayer. A reading from a psalm. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. For fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are more to be desired than gold and even much more fine than gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, for in keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here ends the first lesson. And now let's say our prayers together. Creator God, the psalmist writes that the heavens tell of your glory without uttering a word. Distant space shows traces of your touch. You form vast galaxies, shape granite mountains, and design butterfly wings. You choreograph the paths of stars and the flight of geese. Your divine song is sung by sparrows, mountain streams, and the rushing wind. For all the ways that creation speaks to us of your love and faithfulness, O God, we rejoice and give thanks. But sometimes, great God, nature becomes harsh and unpredictable, and the beauty of your message found in creation is marred and destroyed. In these days particularly, we stand in fear and awe of the destructive power of Hurricane Florence. Her path of destruction is almost more than we can comprehend. And for the loss of life, of humans, animals, and plants, we offer words of lament. For persons who have been displaced or lost from their homes, we offer prayers of comfort. And for all who will generously give their time and energy to help rebuild and replace, we offer words of gratitude. But, O oh God, we must confess that just like Hurricane Florence, we sometimes destroy the beauty of your message, often because of the unpredictability and inconsistency of our words. Sometimes we are like Peter, proclaiming that you are the Christ, and other times we take your name in vain. Sometimes we profess our love for you, while at the same time we curse our enemies. Sometimes we praise your name in this house of worship, yet never speak of you in our world of school and work. Sometimes we pray for peace in our world, and other times we sow seeds of discord by spreading gossip. Forgive us, O oh God, of our failure to always speak with clarity and consistency. Forgive us when our words cloud your image and your witness. So as we worship today, May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you. May we praise you with our songs. May we seek you in our prayers. And may we be eloquent in bearing witness to you with our very lives. Now, God, once again, hear our voices proclaim boldly the ancient words that Christ taught his disciples to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
There is a warning to watch what we say, how words can be used to help or to hurt. A reading from the letter of James. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are very large, it takes strong winds to drive them, and yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. Here ends the second lesson. Boys and girls, it's time to come forward and meet me on the chancel steps. We'll just sit right here. And Dr. Massey has an offering plate, so if you brought an offering or envelope, if you'll give that to her. All right, just have a seat right here. There, I think everybody brought an offering today. There we go. You did a good job, Dr. Massey. We're going to have her pass the offering plate among you all next time. All right, who knows what I'm holding here? It's a horn, isn't it? Who knows what kind of horn these are? You know? It's a horn you blow through, right? You can do that sometime. Well, this is a cow horn, and my grandfather made this cow horn because he liked to hunt. And in the night, he would take a bunch of dogs in the country and go into the forest, into the woods, and they would chase around opossums, and they would chase around raccoons, and they would have a big time. And he would hear them. How do dogs sound when they're chasing? That's pretty good. Well, the, that, that's right. These dogs would go, oh, oh. Well, when Papa was ready for the dogs to come back and be with him, he would blow this. And so I'm going to blow it. And uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of high-pitched and loud. And if there are any dogs, they may come running in any minute now. All right, I'm going to try to blow it. Are you ready? All right, by the way, you know how to blow a trumpet? It's like, like that. This is called your embouchure, like that. So here we go. You ready to listen? Told you. I don't see any dogs coming in right now. They may be here any minute. But he would blow that horn like that, and all those dogs would come running in. Now, wouldn't it be something if your mama or daddy, Jolene, were ready for you to come in from in the yard playing, and instead of saying, Jolene, come on in for supper, that your mom went... That would be funny to say, come on in. Well, I've got another kind of horn here. Is this cutting in and out, by the way? Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) You are on the audio committee, young man. I'm putting you in. All right. This is a, it's called a shofar. It is blown in synagogues. You know, I have Jewish friends. They don't go to church, but they go to synagogues. And they blow a shofar, and this is a ram's horn. It's not a cow horn, it's a ram horn. And this is a special time of year for the Jewish people. When they go to synagogue, Levon, they start the holy days with Rosh Hashanah, that means the new year, and they blow the shofar, and then they end the special days uh, on Yom Kippur, and they blow the shofar. It's like having Christmas and Easter right next to each other. Can you imagine that? And so 
they blow the shofar, and it means come on in and pray. How about that? Let's see if I can do this. This is a little harder to do than a cow horn. Are you ready? All right, we'll try this. I'm going to get just right now. Well, when our Jewish friends hear that sound, it means come on in and pray to God. Wouldn't it have been something if Dr. Massey, instead of saying it's time to pray, that she would have picked this up and gone... (laughs) But that means it's time to pray. Well, let's, let's be like our Jewish friends today. We hear the shofar blown... That means it's time to pray, so let's pray all together. God, thank you for mommies and daddies and helpers that remind us that it's time to pray. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. invitation to take up one's cross and follow Christ, a reading from the Gospel according to Mark. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and then after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father 
with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. I once pastored a woman whose hobby it was to collect nativity scenes. Wherever she traveled, she would pick up a nativity scene, and she would bring it home and display it. I guess you would call her a a creche collector. And as she collected them, she went and gathered them from all over the world, and she displayed them in her house. Now, I don't mean she just displayed them in Advent and Christmas. I mean, she displayed them all year long. This is Ms. Hammonds in Wisner, Louisiana, years ago. Uh, You go on July the 4th, and she would have a creche sitting on the mantel, and one on the coffee table, and one on the kitchen counter. And as she and her husband, Bob, traveled the world, you could begin to see, if you knew a little of their itinerary, you could see the footsteps of their journey by looking into the face of Jesus in the manger. You could begin to see the difference between when she picked up a crash in Asia and one in Alaska. You could see the difference between one that she got in the Caribbean or the black ebony carved one that she got from Kenya. I guess you would say that each of the crash characters looked a lot like the people groups from which they came. And then when I looked in the mangers, in the mangers I saw the many faces of Jesus as portrayed through the artist hands from many lands. I thought of that story and these nativity scenes that she had so many of as I studied this text this week. Because remember, it's Jesus who asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Or another way to ask that question is, when people look into my face, whom do they say that they see? Now that's a preview that just as Jesus asked the disciples, he then changed the question from third person to second person. Then he was asking, who do you say that I am? And the sermon is going to do the same, so get your answer ready. And the answer will be at the corner of belief and behavior. Who do people say that I am? When people look into my face, whom do they see, Jesus was asking. And this is a hinge point story in Mark's gospel. All of the gospel to this point has led up to this point. And it's the Continental Divide. The rest of Mark's gospel flows all the way to Good Friday's cross and then to a very an abrupt Easter with uh, leaving us more questions than answer, answers with the empty tomb. But at this hinge point, Jesus takes a poll asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? Now, whenever I've read this text, I sort of uh, jumped across this triptych, sort of like skipping a stone across the stream, that as they say, oh, John the Baptist, Elijah, and one of the, or one of the prophets, you know, one, two, three, that's all about the same. But on Wednesday, when we were doing the Bible study up here, we pondered, I wonder if there are certain distinctions of why they named those three. Matthew adds Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. We determined that maybe they said John the Baptist because, well, there was something about Jesus that reminded the people out there of John. Now, John was already dead by this time. In fact, Herod had had him executed, but Herod was obsessed with John the Baptist. And when he started hearing of Jesus out there, Herod's paranoia and guilt went right back to, I wonder if John the Baptist has come back to life. Because you'll remember that John the Baptist crossed the line with Herod. He stopped preaching and went to meddling. And that's one of the reasons he died. But John the Baptist and Jesus' message was a lot in common. I don't think Jesus had as much hellfire damnation as John may have had. But the message was similar. Repent and believe the kingdom of God has come near. 
Jesus said about the same. Repent. Believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. There was an intimacy to God's showing up. That that the realm of God was not in the glory days of the past. It was not through the telescope of the future. But wherever God was, God was right there with them right now, like God is with us. Maybe because they had the same message, the people confused John the Baptist with Jesus of Nazareth. The second thing they threw out was, well, some say that you're Elijah. Well, that would be an interesting comparison. You remember Elijah and the Elijah legacy in the Old Testament. Um, There are a few people in the Bible that didn't die, and Elijah is one of them. He didn't die. He was uh, fetched, right? Swing low, sweet chariot, came for to carry him home. While he was still uh, living, he gets on the fiery chariot, and off he goes. There became a story among some of the prophets who said that when the Messiah comes, when the Messiah comes, the Messiah will be preceded by Elijah. And so watch for him. It was Elijah who had that uh, smackdown with the prophets of Baal. You know, take all the prophets of Baal and not let one of them escape us. Mendelssohn's Elijah, right, Posey? Well, in that smackdown, uh, Elijah reminded them that you have a choice today. If God be God, serve God. If Baal be God, serve Baal. Jesus sometimes gave that kind of choice, like in the Sermon on the Mount, that either we go in the ways of God or we go with the mechanics, uh, mammon, it's called in King James, of the world. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Elijah Jesus. But the last comparison is some say that you're one of the prophets. The prophets had an interesting role in Israel, Israeli history. The prophets were the immune system. The prophets were the uh, antivirus software of Judaism. They were a corrective, always inviting the people to come back to God. Come back to God and back from your culturized idea of God. They were not like the priests, who could sometimes be seduced into being company men, maintainers of the institution. Rather, the prophets were the whistleblowers that something had gone awry. Jesus was of that tradition. He was not a priest, per se, in the New Testament days, but he was calling Israel back to an intimacy and a presence with God. Well, the way the text goes, as the people looked at the face of Jesus, they each saw different faces of Jesus, kind of like the nativity scenes of the creche collector. And in a way, they got it right. There are many faces to Jesus. I, I did a, d- a dangerous thing. I was, I was doing my research for this sermon, looking on Wikipedia, as uh, is the way of scholarly research now. I don't, I don't know if that's the way it would be in seminary these days. <laughs> but um, I thought I would Google, under Google Images, uh, images of the face of Jesus, the faces of Jesus. I was expecting to get the Italian Renaissance masters or maybe a picture of the Shroud of Turin or Solomon's Jesus, you know, praying on the rocks with the auburn hair. Um, And those were there, but there were other faces of Jesus that I, I didn't know were out there, like this one. It's a picture of Jesus in a flag of the United States red and white and blue, and, and he's carrying a rifle. How about that? Here's another one of Jesus. He's a prize fighter in the corner of the ring. It doesn't look like he turned the other cheek here, and I think that's some blood on his hand. Jesus, the prize fighter. Here's another interesting one. Jesus, the corporate guy. 
That's a iPad he's carrying in his hand, and it kind of looks, well, like I do a lot, I guess, but it looks like he's been tamed. Turns out that there are a lot of images of Jesus, but when it comes to Jesus, what Jesus turns to is what do you see? Maybe it's Jesus with a gun or Jesus in a suit or whatever. But I think there are other ways to look at Jesus. Who do you say that I am, he asks. And as personal as that is, and it is personal, as I've learned to to note, most of the you pronouns, the second person pronouns in the New Testament, are plural. And so it's Jesus saying, you all, or in the NRSV, New Revised Southern Version, all y'all, who do all y'all say that I am? And as he asks, Peter responds. Now, you've been in committees when this kind of thing happens, that committees are bad about talking about everybody outside of the room. I'm sure faculty members, faculty committees don't do this, but, you know, what they need to do, what those folks should be doing, uh, you know, somebody said um, there may be others who believe, and uh, everybody kind of yawns and looks at their watches, and it's a malaise of motion that comes still. But then somebody says, well, here's what I believe, and this is what I'm going to do. And it's like striking a tuning fork, and all of the room tunes their lives. They may not agree, but it's I hear that, and I see it this way. And it brings more self into the room. I think that happened when Jesus said, so what do you think? I bet they were quiet for a while, and since it was, what do you all think, maybe Maybe Simon Peter was speaking for the group. Maybe they all saw it this way, but at least he's the one that says, you are the Christ. Or said in the way that I'm asking the question, when I look into your face, Jesus, I see the face of the Messiah. So, who do you say that Jesus is? I figured it would be unfair to ask you that question, if I did not answer the question first. So here's my answer to the question. When I look into the face of Jesus, the first thing I see is compassion. I don't know about you, but compassion seems to be short in this old world, even in me for other people and me for myself. And it is so healing to believe that Christ knows me completely and loves me completely, and that I feel the compassion of God. I'm the woman at the well who's come with a tangled life, a broken life, and somehow in Jesus being with the woman at the well, she hears more than is said. Her heart is touched and healed. Compassion. This past Tuesday, a bunch of us gathered up here for the Triple E to hear uh, Deanna Anglin the wife of Kent Anglin, read from the book that she's published of the prayers that he has prayed, some while he was here at Northside Drive Baptist Church for that year and a half when he was the interim pastor. And the food was, took a little while to get the food done, so it gave us more stories to tell Kent Anglin stories. And it seemed to me that the group said there were two things that he was really remembered for. One was... He taught you how to hug. He taught you how to hug. And, and, he, uh, and the group even named two of the people that were recalcitrant but learned anyway. And I won't call their names. You might know Dick Underwood and George Smith. But among all people, everybody learned to hug with Kent Anglin. And the second thing is... When he would listen, he would respond by saying, I hear you. I hear you. He was a pastoral counselor at heart. I hear you. You know what a difference that makes when you need to be listened to. And when someone can be patient and listen to you, 
tell your story. When I imagine Jesus listening to all of that I've got to bring to him, I can imagine me laying down my sword and shield and meeting Jesus down by the riverside. I don't have to be defensive anymore. First words, compassion. When I look into the face of Jesus, the second thing I see is challenge. I'm like Simon Peter. I use the right word, thou art the Christ, you are the Messiah. I've got the word right, but I define the word very differently, as did Peter and as did Jesus as he corrected him. I need the challenge because it takes challenge to love my neighbor as I love myself. I haven't finished becoming all of who God wants me to be. And I need the challenge of Christ to keep me growing. And the third thing is compassion, challenge, and connection to God. As a Christian, it is the lens of Jesus through which I look to see the refraction of the multicolored layers of God. Connection to God. There was one other picture, face of Jesus, I found on the web. I actually didn't realize this was true. There's another anniversary this week, not just 9-11 of a great tragedy. There was another one. In fact, it's today, September the 16th, 1963, 55 years ago. It was the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in, in Birmingham, Alabama. Twenty people were injured and four little girls were killed. Some of you have been there to go on pilgrimage, as I have, to that church. And you might remember that the compression from the blast and the shrapnel from the explosion that Klan members had planted there that killed those little girls had blown away some pieces of the window, windows, stained glass windows. Here's a picture of Jesus. You can't see it very well. It's, it's that, behold, I stand at the door and knock, where Jesus is knocking on the door. Except because of the blast, the face of Jesus is missing and still is. In a way, that congregation has filled in that face with love and humility, but bold challenge to live out the life God has called them. To me, that is a reminder that the wounded God that I love has also been wounded by we who love God. The wounded God in, in the stained glass window. This past week, um, finally, finally, Daniel Hedrick, and I think Johnny Elder helped with this, we got, we got the video that was shot 16 years ago of Jimmy Carter uh, on our 50th anniversary in 2002, and that we put up a screen and we played it right there for the meal afterward, that we've had that that videotape transposed to digital. And I hadn't seen it in years. And it's, it's a time capsule, you know. Me is a much younger person. And uh, there were a bunch of us that went from Northside down to the Carter Center to interview him. And we, we look a little different back then. Uh, some of us uh, uh, had darker hair than we did back then. Uh, some of us have less hair than we did back then. Fisher Albertson was in the picture, and he had somebody else's hair back then. But we were, we were there, and we got to talk to Jimmy Carter. I had turned in questions to ask, and he was answering. But I didn't want to be the only asker. I wanted to bring along an 8-year-old, an 18-year-old, and an 80-year-old to interview him. The 8-year-old was Paige Whiffin. The 18-year-old was Stuart Meeks. And the 80-year-old was Marjorie Albertson. Of course, President Carter was most animated when Paige would ask him a question. And he would grin with that big grin, mouth full of teeth, and he would nod and he would answer her questions. I asked him the question, President Carter, it seems to me that you're a person who's tried to live a life informed by your faith, that you've been involved with Habitat 
for humanity. And so, President Carter, could, could you tell us of Northside Drive how your faith intersects with your functioning as a Christian? And he spoke to that. He spoke to it very eloquently, though it seemed just kind of off the cuff. He spoke of integrity and of how the beliefs you have need to square with the behavior you have. He humbly said his always did not do that, but that was his goal and his prayer. He said being a Christian for him meant to take initiative, to go and be a part of the healing of the world, and how the Carter Center is going where poor people are. And he said that whatever else the mission of being a faithful Christian is, is to carry the love of God as far as you can and to as many people as you can. It was a holy moment, and it felt like I had been privileged to be there at a hinge moment in our history at the halfway, the half-century mark. It's going to be a big year ahead for us. We're going to see the face of Christ in the crash this Christmas. We'll see the face of Christ hanging on the cross on Good Friday. And as you go out from this place today, you will see the face of Christ in the world. And it will call you to compassion and challenge and commitment and connection to God. The face of Christ can do that. Amen. is our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation to dedication is also given. It's an opportunity for us to strike the tuning fork of our lives and tune our lives to the lives of Christ. We do that, it changes how we work this week, what kind of parents we are this week, what kind of partners we are this week. That is the invitation as we sing the song Let's stand together and sing.
Whenever a family gathers around a table, there's always news to share. Some of the news is on the back of the order of service, and much of the news is in the pinnacle that you received either in the mail or by email this week. Let me highlight a few things to you. One is that the Romeo group, the older men, meeting this week. Isn't that right, Posey? Posey is the potentate of the uh, Romeos now, and we have a new location. It's all in the, uh, uh, the pinnacle. Uh, please take a look at that and join us. Also, in two weeks is the 66th anniversary of Northside Drive Baptist Church. We can go on Medicare now. 66th anniversary, we'll have a grand gathering. We'll sing Bedford Davis's hymn as we enter and join in worship. And then we have a gathering for lunch following. Uh, please call. You'll see the instructions on this and this of how to make sure that you have reservations. And now we are a praying church. We pray for one another, especially those who have been displaced and are going through great trauma due to Hurricane Florence. We pray for them. We also pray, as many of you heard and saw in the email that I sent out this week, that Wade Davis died this week. And uh, Wade was a good Northside driver from back in the day, but he's been sick for a good many years was tended to by several of you in the congregation. It was his wishes to have neither a memorial service or a funeral service. So we'll observe those wishes. But we'll hold him in our hearts and give thanks to God for him. And on, on All Saints Sunday, which will be here in not too many weeks, we will call his name, hold the bell, and give thanks for his life. We pray for his cousin, who uh, is still living, and friends whom many are you. I mentioned earlier that we read from Psalm 19 as we began the service. Sorry. We read from Psalm 19 as we began the service. That will be echoed now by the singing of the choir and also by the singing of a trio, Gina Gould, Shanta Johnston, and Steve Sheely. Let's prepare our hearts to listen even as we continue the worship of God by the giving of tithes and offerings.
All-loving God, as our eyes see the night sky, we see how infinite this universe is, far greater than our small problems that haunt us every day. Give us strength and stamina. Give us grace and hope. May these offerings be received as means of carrying your good news to the world. And may we be vessels of that message. Bless and help and Hold and heal us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
As we prepare to go, as we pray for one another, as we journey back to places of belonging and people to whom we belong, remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.